3: Hello, and welcome to Run Your Money. Today on the show, we're talking about everything you need to know about student loans. I'm Veronica Grant, your host and personal finance consultant. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm really excited about today's episode, and it's a very timely one. So if you have student loans that have started back up this month in October 2023, then you need to listen to this episode in its entirety because there is some important information that either myself or my guest is going to share with you that can literally save you thousands of dollars, potentially depending on your specific situation. But before we get to my guest, which by the way, this is my first guest on the show, which I'm super excited about, I'm going to give you an overview of what's going on with student loans just in case you know you aren't obsessively following the news like I do you kind of have a sense as to what's going on, important deadlines you need to know, and options you have to pay back student loans. And then I've brought in Becca, who is a CPA and consultant with the Student Loan Planner, which is a business that I actually found through my own email newsletter. They help people find loopholes and navigate red tape and all that kind of stuff that is paying back your student loans so that you can potentially just have your loans wiped out or save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars? So there's some pretty technical questions that I'm going to ask Becca. So if you don't have student loans, that part of this episode will probably be a little like, what the hell is she talking about? But if you do have student loans, you probably will be asking yourself these very questions because I have posted several videos on TikTok over the last several months about student loans. And those videos have received thousands of comments and questions. And so I have taken as many questions as I can. And I am asking those to Becca, because I know a lot, but I don't know everything. And so I'm really grateful for Student Loan Planner and the work that they do. And honestly, it's quite impressive, because wow, paying back your student loans is a freaking nightmare. There are so many ways to pay your loans back. And No one seems to really be able to tell you the best option for you and your specific circumstances, which is why I'm so impressed by the work of Student Loan Planner, because Travis, the founder, has poured through studentaid.gov so that he can expertly help people navigate the red tape of paying back student loans. And I think this is most important, help borrowers find loopholes in the laws so that they can save hundreds if not thousands of dollars. So I'm gonna talk a little bit more about Student Loan Planner once I get closer to introducing Becca, but I do just want to say that they offer their consulting services to borrowers and I've partnered with them. So if you do have student loans and you want some help with how to navigate and pay back your loans as cheaply and quickly as possible, if you book your consult through my link, then I get a thank you referral fee from student loan planner. And because of that, I'm able to also then offer you a mini run your money session. So if you have student loans coming back and you're like, Oh my gosh, that, and also just getting my whole financial house in order, Number one, listen to this episode because you might just get all the information that you need from listening. And if you still have questions or have a very unique or specific situation, then definitely book a consult with Student Loan Planner. And if you also then after you book with them, you want to come to me and say, "Okay, I know how much my payments are. Help me get my financial shit together then make sure you book your student loan planner session through my link. And that link is studentloanplanner.com forward slash run your money and run your money is all smushed into one word. I'll have that link in the show notes um, wherever you're listening to this. So you can just go to the episode info and tap through and that will let them know that I referred you to them and then reach out to me and we will get your mini run your money session on the calendar so I can help you best balance paying off these loans while also enjoying life now and of course saving and investing for your future. Okay so first this part of the episode I just want to give you an overview of student loans, what's been going on over the last several years with them in case you know you haven't been obsessively following the news like I have. And then, like I said, we'll get into more technical and specific questions that have been coming up among many borrowers that I've been talking to on TikTok and Instagram and with clients, etc. First, student loans do not operate like other loans that you might take out. For example, if you wanted to take out a loan to buy a house, you would go to a bank and you would get something called a mortgage. And that lender would do credit check and would also look at your spending and the kind of job you have and how much money you make and like how stable that job is, et cetera. And the bank does this so that they can ensure that if they are going to give you a loan, especially a large loan to buy a house, they want to be able to be reasonably sure that they're going to get the money back plus the interest that you will pay so that they can stay in business and do their thing, right? Right. And part of that process is you know exactly what your payments are going to be. For example, if you get a mortgage for $300,000, the bank's going to be like, great, for 30 years, you are going to pay us back $3,000 per month. I did not do the math. I don't know if that's actually what the mortgage would be. And after 30 years, you will be done, we will be done, enjoy your home. And also, your mortgage payments will start within A couple months of receiving the loan. This is not how student loans operate at all. First of all, there's little to no credit check or can this person pay this loan back? There's just, here's your loan package, here's your interest rate, take it or leave it. And then upon graduation, you typically have a grace period where you can find a job and get yourself set up financially in your new job, and then you start paying back loans. And that seems great, except a few issues. One, if you have unsubsidized loans, which are more common for grad school, but definitely do exist for undergrad, then interest is actually accruing the entire time you're in school. And that can add thousands to your total balance before you even start to pay anything off. Now, if you have subsidized student loans, this is not applied to you. The government pays the interest that accrues for you while you're in school and during that initial grace period. The other thing that you don't really know when you take out the loans is you don't really know what your payment terms will be. Like I said, when you take out a mortgage, you know exactly what your payments are going to be, and they're going to be that forever and always until you pay off this loan but that's not how student loans work. You figure out your repayment after the fact, meaning after you graduate, and it's largely going to be based on how much you make. And that, again, seems great, but sometimes even an income-based repayment program can be quite high and unaffordable, especially in inflation and cost of living has gone up while salaries have stayed depressed, etc. But the other issue is that If you do some sort of income-driven repayment program and you do have a fairly low payment, let's say your payment is $100, but your loans are so large that $300 of interest accrues every month, your $100 payment isn't even covering the interest that's accruing, which means that you can keep paying your required payments, but that loan will actually be bigger years down the road than what you started with. And there are no other loans out there like this. I think a lot of what student loans have done is very akin to some of the predatory mortgage practices that happened in the 2000s and the 90s that ultimately created the 2008 financial crisis. I don't think that this practice is accepted in private industry. And yet, here we are. This is how student loans have worked. Now, there are and there have been some forgiveness programs. If you are a teacher or you work in another public service industry, then if you pay your loans for 10 years, anything that's left will be forgiven. And there are supposed to be other programs that are closer to 20, 25 years, where if you pay back your loans, even if you're not public service, your loans should be forgiven. But due to many technical errors, that hasn't really happened. Long story short, student loans are a huge mess. And that's not even getting into the issue of the price of college and is it worth it, et cetera, which I will do an episode about that. But for right now, just know that student loans are really messed up. They do not operate like other loans. And so when people were saying, especially around Biden's forgiveness plan, pay what you owe, that's just not really understanding the true issue around the loans. Okay. All right. So all that being said, March, 2020, the pandemic hits, there's a state of emergency and the Trump administration pauses student loans. Trump continues to be president. Trump loses. Biden becomes president and he continues these loan pauses multiple times. And then back in June of this year, June, 2023, you might remember there was a debt ceiling crisis, which means that the United States is a rarity in Western nations where we have a debt ceiling, meaning that Congress cannot pay its debts unless they raise the debt ceiling. This is not about spending. This is money that everyone's already agreed to spend. But if that increases the debt, there needs to be additional legislation to then increase the debt ceiling so that the United States government can take on that much debt to then pay the bills that it's already agreed to pay. There was a far right flank back in June that said we are not going to increase the debt ceiling. I have a TikTok video where I posted why this was so dangerous and why this would have been catastrophic financially for pretty much every single American. I'll put that in the show notes you can listen to. If you would like But that's getting into a different topic. But the reason why I'm bringing up the debt ceiling crisis is because part of that agreement to raise the debt ceiling to appease that far right flank was that Biden would not further extend the student loan payment pause, which meant that at the end of the summer when the pause was due to end, that would be it. There was no room for Biden at that point to extend the pause any further. Now, while this was all going on, everyone was waiting for a Supreme Court decision about Biden's forgiveness plan. Back in October of 2022, the Biden administration announced a flat forgiveness of $10,000 per student loan borrower, And $20,000 for some borrowers who received a Pell Grant. And people who receive Pell Grant tend to be much poorer, so they were going to get more loan forgiveness relief. Not surprisingly, this immediately ended up in the courts and ultimately up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court releases its decisions every year in June. So, the debt ceiling crisis thing was going on while everyone was also waiting to see if the Supreme Court would uphold the loan forgiveness. No one really thought that that would happen, but you never know. Sometimes the Supreme Court, even this Supreme Court, gives back surprising decisions. However, as most of you all probably know by now, the Supreme Court did not uphold the decision. Even people who support loan forgiveness said that the loan forgiveness program was on shaky legal grounds, so none of this is really surprising. I'm not a legal expert. I'm just going off of what I've heard from other legal experts. Shortly after the Supreme Court shot down the loan forgiveness program, Biden then announces a new repayment plan called SAVE. And SAVE, to my understanding from other legal experts, is on much better legal standing because ultimately the US Department of Education has the authority to create rules around how loans are paid back. And that's ultimately what this SAVE program does. It's not just like a unilateral, we'll forgive this amount of money. The Supreme Court basically said that the executive branch can't do that because it's so much money. Like that really needs to come from Congress if we're going to pull those kind of purse strings. Ironically, SAVE. Is going to cost the United States government much more money than just straight relief of 10 or 20K for borrowers. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, so here is in a nutshell what SAVE does. So SAVE is a new kind of IDR, which is an income driven repayment program. And it's going to ultimately morph out some of the other payment programs. And I think SAVE actually does some really important things. And I was listening to, I forget which podcast, maybe an NPR show about Save. And I really like the way the host talked about it. It's kind of like if your dad takes you out to dinner and dinner costs $100 and you want to pay him back for your portion of the meal. And he's like, don't worry about it. Just cover the parking and parking costs like 10 bucks. You're not really paying him back. And this is kind of what the Save program does. It's not an overnight forgiveness, but it's kind of a slow rolling forgiveness. And as someone who has studied student loans for qu- quite in depth over the past year or so, it's pretty significant as to what it does. Under the SAVE program, it's, it's a more favorable formula. And ultimately what this does is it lowers pretty much anyone's payment that would sign up. And then In July of 2024, payments will go down again for most borrowers. So right now you have to pay 10% of what the government has determined is your quote unquote discretionary money. But in July of 2024, undergrad loans will only have to pay 5% of what the government determines to be your discretionary income. Grad loans will be 10%. And if you have both, It'll be a weighted average between the two. So for some people, if you only have undergrad loans, if you sign up for SAVE right now, and let's say the government says, we think you can pay $200 a month. In July of next year, that payment will be $100 a month. Any interest your payment doesn't cover will not accrue. And if you pay your monthly payments every month for 20 years, whatever is left over will be wiped out. And by the way, many people will qualify for a $0 monthly payment. And if you make those $0 monthly payments, that also counts towards the 20 years until you get complete forgiveness. So it's a better formula. It's ultimately for most people, it's going to be a lower percentage of discretionary income will be required for your payments and interest doesn't accrue. And if you are married and you file separately, then your spouse's income will not count towards determining your minimum payment. Now, this is where you might want to get a CPA involved. And also, honestly, this is where a student loan planner can help you a lot because all of their consultants are either CPAs or CFAs. Because when you file jointly, generally taxes are more favorable to you. But if it drastically lowers your student loan payments, especially if your spouse makes a lot more than you, then it might be better to file separately, get lower payments, even if it means less tax return, or you might owe slightly more in taxes. You'll have to see, you'll have to do some calculations. I don't want to say it's universally the right thing to do, but for some people, it definitely will be beneficial. When I posted my video sharing all of this information on TikTok, I got a bazillion questions. My payment went up when I tried to apply for SAVE. Do I have to apply for this by a certain amount of time? What about Parent PLUS loans? All of these questions came up and I didn't have the answer for them. That's why I was really excited to come across Student Loan Planner. I've been following them on both TikTok and Instagram and their newsletter. It is chock full of information. So if you are really struggling with your student loans or you're not sure or you're confused about the best way to pay them back, I really, really recommend that you book a consultation with Student Loan Planner. And if you would like to then also kind of get a double dip on that and get a mini run your money session with me for no extra cost to you, make sure you sign up for your consultation at studentloanplanner.com forward slash run your money. You have to sign up for it through that link. You might even want to confirm with them after you book that, that it went through and tagged me if you really want to get that run your money session because if the tag's not there, there's nothing I can do to help you. So just keep that in mind if a consultation with them is the route you want to go. All right, so this is where my expertise around the politics and student loans ends. And this is where we're going to bring in Becca again, who is a CPA and a consultant for Student Loan Planner. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Hi, Becca, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited to ask you all the student loan questions that I've been getting. <laughs> I'm just going to be more excited. I've been getting so many questions, especially on TikTok. Like, even though there's hundreds of questions, there's like five of the same questions, you know, so that's yes, great for okay. Like a lot of people are asking some of these questions. Student loans have been taking over the news between the Supreme Court ruling and then the new save plan and payments restarting. Um, so let's just catch everyone up because even if people have loans, they may not be obsessively following the news like I do. <laughs> so what are some key developments, key things going on that pretty much all borrowers should know right now?
1: Yeah. So I would say like the Biggest thing right now that people should know is the opportunity available with the one-time income-driven repayment account adjustment, which is available through the end of 2023. So essentially what that is, when they initially rolled out income-driven repayment or IDR, the concept was that after you paid on your loans for 20 or 25 years, depending on what repayment plan you were on and the kind of loans that they were, that essentially the remaining balance would be forgiven. And the nuances with ID are that they just weren't well communicated. And so a lot of people made missteps throughout the way, not recognizing that they weren't actually even on that path. So if you're on a standard extended or extended graduated repayment plan for student loans, you're not going to be eligible for that 20 or 25 year forgiveness. But essentially, with this one-time adjustment, what the government is doing is they're they're saying, we'll give you credit for that time, regardless of whatever plan you're on. Also, historically, forbearance is put a pause on that clock. Um, But there are periods of forbearance that they're giving credit for towards repayment as well. So it's really important that people understand um, where their loans are so that they can get a sense of, do I need to switch to an income-driven repayment plan? Am I interested in forgiveness in the long term?
3: Okay. So I want to make sure I understand this. So for people who were not on any kind of IDR, but they've been paying 20 or 25 years, they can switch to an IDR and receive forgiveness for whatever is remaining on their balance. Did I hear that right?
1: Yes. Generally speaking, like the biggest action that folks would have to take is consolidating their loans, able to access that income driven repayment plan and get credit for all of those historical payments. But yes, that's hundred percent true.
3: Got it. Oh, well, that's really great news for people who feel like they're never going to be done with their, with their loans. (laughs) Yeah. And so the consolidation has to happen before the end of 2023, or they have to apply for this one-time adjustment or both before the end of 2023.
1: So there's actually no application process for the one-time adjustment. It would be automatic. Through the consolidation process, they would complete that consolidation application. And then through that application, they would also be prompted to select an income-driven repayment option. So that's when they would have to recertify their income. And as long as it directly links your tax return, you should be able to see exactly what your payments would be under the various plans as well as what the, it'll probably show like a skewed forgiveness date. So that shouldn't alarm anybody. It'll probably assume that you're starting your 20 or 25 year clock now with that consolidation application, but the one-time adjustment will not be going through until like early 2024.
3: Got it. Okay. And so they can pick any IDR plan. They just need to be on an IDR plan to get that forgiveness. Correct. Okay. Okay great well that's really great news i didn't even i wasn't even aware of that and i feel like i've been following Mm -hmm. it pretty closely so i imagine a lot of people are probably not aware of this okay anything else that is time sensitive that people need to know
1: that's probably the biggest influencing factor right now as far as options for those repayment plans the other thing kind of upcoming in the next year or so is that The access to the pay-as-you-earn plan, which is one of the four income-driven repayment plans, so P-A-Y-E, that is expiring. People will no longer be able to enroll in that after July of 2024, which that does have the shorter forgiveness timeframe for the 20 years. What's weird about the pay plan specifically is that it's only available to borrowers who initially borrowed after 2011. So there will be some people that may not have access to that. And then the other one would be like new IBR also has a, a 20-year time frame as well. You won't see IBR, I'll just say income-based repayment, but the way that they split new IBR versus old IBR is if you borrowed any time after 2014. Got it. Okay. So the pay plan, pay,
3: P-A-Y-E mm-hmm. is expiring. However, isn't save going to just morph all of these previous IDR plans, because there's like a
0: million. I'm not literally. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing, from step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com/wondersuite.
2: Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Play million, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So literally, there's four. <laughs> to your point, there's kind of like four and a half with like the IBR splitting uh, income-based repayment, not to be confused with income-driven repayment. So like the big umbrella is income-driven. And then the four under that umbrella are income-based pay, save, and income-contingent repayment. Income-contingent repayment is the most expensive. We generally don't advise that for folks. Like I I mentioned before, income-based repayment, IBR, is split into, So that's where the four and a a half come from. (laughs) And then to your point... Save definitely is being promoted as like the big bad wolf going to absorb like all of the other repayment plans and essentially one repayment plan to rule them all, I guess. (laughs) But save isn't necessarily the cure-all for all folks. Like the the one thing with save versus pay and income-based repayment. I'll focus on those because those are generally what we recommend aside from save or income-driven repayment purposes. The big difference between, so IBR and pay, they both have caps on how high your payment can go. And what the cap for that would be is whatever the equivalent of what your standard repayment would have been if you were on a standard plan. Whereas with save, as your income escalates, your payment's going to escalate regardless. Um, The calculation of that payment is much more generous relative to the amount of income that they're kind of shielding and considering to be discretionary income for save. But yeah, those are those are just some of the
3: Okay. So I posted about Save when the Biden administration announced it on TikTok. And a lot of people commented and they were like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. My payments are zero or they're only fifty dollars or whatever. But then mm-hmm. a lot of people commented that their payments actually went up. So yes. I was curious, one, is there an explanation for that? I'm sure there is, which you probably know. And then also, who would save be good for and who would it actually not be good for? Or what situations would it not be good for?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of like nuance with the, the calculation of the student loan payments, which is really like the crux of our consultations is helping people navigate their specific situation. So one thing that could really inflate payments would be, For instance, like if you got married and you filed a joint tax return and that's what they're using initially to uh, calculate your your payment on save. So one is like increase of income, number one, but also if you're filing jointly with your spouse and they're in a high paying industry or something, they're essentially what's happening if you are married filing jointly and they're essentially considering your spouse's income. So in, in calculating your payment, and is there so, anything else yeah. that would drive those payments up? Just having a, a high paying job. So I, okay. I mean, right now, so the biggest the biggest thing I would say is, yeah, inflation of income. So one thing is like, it could be the timing as far as like, okay, when you last recertified, potentially pre-COVID, you got married, you're making more money. I would say those are like the big thing. So if, okay. like, if you switch payment plans, it's going to force you to recertify your income. Got it. Got it. So it's
3: not... A case where some payment plans might have a more fav- favorable formula. It's really just your payments probably went up because you're making more money or you got married and you're filing jointly, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, okay. basically just income being high, whether it's a result of marriage or timing or recertification. And okay. then. But if like they're on know, another, if
3: they're not, sorry to interrupt, but if they're on another okay. IDR plan, and they have to recertify anyway so their payments were going to go up regardless whether they switch to save or not if their payments were, well, if their salary is going up
1: right at some point they would have to recertify okay it doesn't necessarily mean it would have to be right now so then you can play the timing game with your tax return yeah so like you could like expect your 2024 tax return to like file separately or you could file an extension so those are just like a couple different strategies to consider. And then also as far as, you know, like I mentioned for pay and for IBR, those have payment caps. So like if you're just like, I'm, I don't even want to entertain like filing separately or anything. And yeah, my payment went off. Like you should be able to see exactly like on studentaid.gov website, what your payments would be, as long mm-hmm. as they're able to link directly your tax return.
3: Okay. And so... Is there anyone or any specific kind of situation where you would say in general, save is probably not the right plan for you?
1: Hopefully if they're, I would say if they have like maybe like 15 years of repayment history at this point, only because save is, it's going to be a 25 year forgiveness unless it's undergraduate only debt. But if there's any graduate debt mixed in with that, it's going to be a 25 year Time frame, whereas pay and new IBR, those would only be twenty years. But again, the, there's those weird like time frames associated with those. Like if you borrowed any time before two thousand seven or before two thousand fourteen, then you wouldn't qualify for those anyway.
3: Got it. And it sounds like though, if you're a high earner, pay or the IBR would be better since there's a payment cap. Correct.
1: Yep, absolutely.
3: Okay. Okay. So then, people who are going into the loan payment simulator to see how much their payments would be. Is it true that their payments will then be cut in half again if it's only undergrad on July 1st of
1: next year? So they'll they'll prorate it next year as far as like how much of the debt is graduate versus undergraduate. So it won't necessarily be cut in half.
3: Okay, because I what was the what's I, I'm I'm like blanking now on the specific thing, but. Wasn't there something about like 5% and 10%, so like 5% of your discretionary funds if you're undergrad only, 10% grad, and then a blend if you're both, right? But I thought that wasn't going into play until July of next year, right?
1: Correct. So it's July of next year, so the 5% for the undergrad, the 10% for the grad, you're 100% right on that. So if people have consolidated both, essentially what's going to happen is they'll prorate the debt versus that calculation. So, like, only your, and because there's a borrowing cap that's so low for undergrad debt, it's probably, it's not, it's likely to not be a 50 50 split, is what is my point if you went to grad school because okay. of right. access to way more funds for grad school.
3: Right. So, what I'm saying though is if someone's on save like today or paying mm-hmm. when, they're, when their payments are restarting this month, will their payments go down again in July? Or is it still calculated with that
1: five percent, ten percent rule already in mind? Right now, it's being calculated with ten percent only for all of the debt. So there will be some decrease if they have undergraduate okay. debt in July. Yes.
3: Okay. Got it. Got it. I was I was pretty sure, but I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be like totally sure before I started telling people that. <laughs> okay. So can people apply for Save in grad school when they're still in school?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the loophole for save with grad school specifically, is that you can actually start your repayment clock, quote unquote, while you're still in school, but you have to have grad plus loans. So if your financial aid package comes back and it offers, you know, Stafford loans and grad plus, you they can actually elect to waive the Stafford loans in favor of additional grad plus loans and get that payment clock started.
3: That's great. And then they would potentially have $0 payments, right? Because Yep they may not have very much income if they're in school. Exactly. That's a great loophole. I think I saw that on your Instagram or on, I don't know who posted it on the Instagram post for student loan planner. I was like, dang, that's pretty smart.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Travis is a smart cookie.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about parent plus loans, but before that I just have a couple of questions and obviously this is just speculation. I have my own speculations too, but save was created basically through an executive order, you know, it's a new rule that the Department of Education put together, what happens if another party comes into power next term? Will save just go away? If so, what do you think would happen?
1: Yeah, it really depends. We do have a little bit of speculation because historically, like regardless of what administration and their party affiliation came up with various plans. So pay was another one. Repay was also by executive order as well. So this is really like the first time that we've seen a, a payment plan or an option done away with as far as save re- replacing repay. And so it's kind of open to can of worms. <laughs> From our perspective, we have a tendency to think that income-based repayment is, and income contingent repayment will be protected because those are based in, statute reg- and have regulatory protections. And they're, they're written into people's promissory notes as well. But to your point, yeah, I mean, technically they could do away with it. This is obviously pure speculation, but I think at this point, if somebody were to reverse it and give worse options, it would not be a great career move on
3: their part. That, that's what I say. I don't have the technical knowledge about like you just mentioned, which I think are great points, but This is what I think, just to compare with Obamacare, it's not exactly the same because that was a bill passed through Congress, but the Republicans could have repealed Obamacare in 2017 because they had a trifecta, and they did it because it was just Mm -hmm. bad politics, right? And so I think the same thing is is true here. If the Republicans come into power in 2024, we're not going to do this because it's going to affect millions of people, and those are potential voters, so... Yeah. Um, Uh Yeah. I'm I'm glad my speculations are similar to (laughs) others in the industry. Oh, I have another question about SAVE actually. So if someone is on, I always get the acronym mixed up, the PLSF or PS, one, can they apply for SAVE and two, will it reset the clock for them?
1: They can absolutely apply for SAVE and no, it will not reset their clock.
3: Okay, great. Have that in well, it's not really writing here, but <laughs> have it recorded. <laughs> so, if someone is on save and they are then again on a path to forgiveness, albeit a slower rolling forgiveness than the overnight thing that the Supreme Court struck down, is it worth it for people to make extra payments on their loans if they can?
1: On save specifically, or any of the income-driven repayment plans?
3: I'm going to answer that. In whatever way, if there are different okay. answers, I'm curious to hear them both.
1: Okay. So with SAVE, I think it depends on what your payment is. So there is a really unique interest subsidy associated with SAVE after your monthly payment is applied. If there's any remaining unpaid interest, that is saved. So any extra payments, it would create like a weird like timing game for mm-hmm. SAVE specifically. In general, for any of the income driven repayment plans, my perspective is that it would really not necessarily be worth it, depending on what your other financial goals are. You could put that money towards a ton of other things, like really the only benefit you would be gaining by making extra payments on the loans would be reducing the tax bomb associated with forgiveness from a um, federal perspective. I mean, states it would, you know, be a little bit more nuanced. However, th- I mean, there's speculation amongst our industry as well that, you know, the tax bomb's going to go away too. So, yeah. So actually, it's it. There is no tax bomb right now on on student loan forgiveness through 2025 from the American Rescue Plan that was passed during COVID. They made it temporarily tax free and. The idea in our industry is that that was essentially like a down payment or a a promise to make that a more permanent fixture in our political landscape. And I think like what we say is like there's like a 96% chance that it's not going to be around. But we like to give people (laughs) all the facts and the information that we currently have. So yeah. So I mean, there's possibility there will be no tax bump, but. That's really so. When really you're honest. saying,
3: and just to make sure everyone listening understands, when you're saying tax bomb, you mean like if you have a hundred thousand dollars forgiven, you're going to be taxed as if you made an extra hundred thousand dollars in your salary, correct?
1: Correct. That forgiveness historically has been considered income from a federal tax perspective.
3: Right, and so that can really increase the taxes you pay that year by a lot. And so that is waived through 2025 or until 2025, right? Okay. And so if you are on track for forgiveness post 2025, right now, everyone's just hoping and praying that that tax goes away.
1: Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay.
3: Okay. Okay. Gosh, I have a lot to say about that, if that's going to happen, but that's neither here nor there. Let's jump to parent plus loans. I posted a video on parent plus loans and I was shocked at how many questions I got. I'm I'm a parent, but not old enough to have parent plus loans. My kid is like,
1: yeah, "Yeah."
3: although I probably need some loans to pay for friggin' daycare, but (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. So it it wasn't even like in my radar (laughs) that a lot of parents are struggling with their parent plus loans. So, and there's a lot more restrictions around what they're allowed to do but I I do know that they can do a double consolidation to then apply for IDR which then they can get into save is that it's more complicated yeah. than that right
1: <laughs> that is a very simplified
3: yeah yeah I know it's so very complicated
1: it, yeah so we call it a loophole because it's not it's not easy to execute <laughs> okay the double consolidation loophole so generally like if if parent plus borrowers were to just go consolidate their loans all like all together at once initially they would have access to the income contingent repayment option but like I mentioned before that is the most expensive option of the yeah. income driven repayment plans so yeah. in order to be able to access save what they would need to do is essentially have like two two or more groupings if they wanted to get complicated about it but as long as they have at least to separate them with two different servicers And consolidate them, those two groups separately, and then consolidate them both together after that initial round of consolidations is complete.
3: Okay, so they have to have them already at two different servicers, consolidate them there, and then consolidate them together, correct?
1: Yeah, they can they can split them up with the consolidation. So if they're starting from one servicer, that's not a problem, but it is it's like a paper application that they have to do in order to be able to have them sent one to two different servicers and then two to make sure that the right loans are being grouped together, but also the wrong loans are being excluded <laughs> for that paper application because they have to write down not only the, the loans that you want consolidated with that specific servicer, but also the ones that you may have to exclude on the application as well.
3: Okay. Yeah. It definitely sounds like this is something you would want someone to walk you through because if you mess mm-hmm. up, then you're, you can't do it. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Or like we have like one other strategy, which is to like take out another loan <laughs> so that you can create a second grouping. But right. So yeah. that means if you have like,
3: like if you just have one loan with Nelnet or whoever, you can't consolidate because they consolidate. Right.
1: You could, but you'd only do it once. You couldn't do the double consolidation.
3: Right, right, right. So then you couldn't get onto an an IDR or a save plan, correct? Okay. I think it's still probably a little confusing for people listening, but I think ultimately the moral of the story is if you have multiple Parent PLUS loans and you want to try to get onto save or another IDR plan, you probably just need to book a session with you guys. Is that Is that what I'm
1: hearing? (laughs) Yes. And Megan uh, McGuire is our resident expert, but she has trained the rest of us up.
3: (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I, I I just had no idea all these parents were struggling with parent plus loans. I feel really bad because I feel like in some ways they were kind of left in the dust and I've had people send me DMs of like, I'll never retire because I'm never going to pay these goddamn loans off. and. It's, it's really sad. I, I feel for them.
1: Yeah, it's super sad. And to be honest, like, I guess I didn't really understand the origin of the problem until I actually talked to my, my own parents recently. They didn't have any parent plus loans, but my mom was just talking to me about when they went to orientation for my oldest sister and they were basically made to feel like they had to pay and it was their burden to bear regardless. Oh. And so I can't even imagine that pressure. My parents didn't go to college. So parents that are just trying to create like a new and better path for their kids, and they think that they're doing the right thing. They were kind of duped right along with the students as far as what the payoff and the structure of the system was. Totally. Yeah.
3: Totally. And I know, again, this would be like a case by case, and I don't want to tell people, oh, you should definitely do this. But is it ever a good idea to take a HELOC with, or something with like lower interest just to be able to get some sort of plan going? Or Are most people just stuck paying these loans until they pay it off?
1: So, for the HELOC specifically, that was a loophole available specifically to be able to deduct interest on your taxes to kind of like refinance your student loans for the HELOC. However, this is another time sensitive thing. So, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed at the end of 2017. It actually got rid of that loophole specifically. So now HELOCs, so you can only deduct the interest associated with HELOCs for actual home improvements or like expansion or basically it has to be a home project. You can't just like lump your student loans in there and deduct the interest from it. But that's only through 2025 as well. So I would say if people are looking for more flexible options from a repayment plan perspective, I, I would hold off on the HELOC stuff until after 25 specifically. And obviously with like the interest rate environment being what it is right now, it's not it's not a great outlook right. for refinancing right, generally. Right, 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 right. Specific to income-driven repayment plans, like the, the biggest strategy that we generally recommend is making sure that if you have access to an employer-sponsored retirement plan, making sure that you're contributing as much as possible to that, one, so that you can secure your financial future, but two, most people don't realize that that actually reduces the income figure that they utilize to calculate your IDR payment. So it's a win-win as far as making sure that yes, you can retire and then two, it's reducing your student loan payment and your taxable income.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The last thing about Parent PLUS loans is this loophole we've been talking about, the double consolidation, that loophole is closing as well, correct?
1: Yes, that's closing in July of 2025. And
3: that seems far off, but my understanding is that double consolidation takes how long it's a long time right
1: so each consolidation can take anywhere from like 30 to 60 days so if people start right now they, they still have a decent oh. runway so i mean realistically they could get it done before next tax season so that would be something to consider but yeah so it would take take like probably like four months
3: why did i think it took like a year like six months per consolidation i have no idea why i thought that
1: so we do like the paper application for the first round. But to your point about the six months, you can only file an electronic consolidation application every six months.
3: Oh, I see. Yeah, That's why it has to be paper so that you can do them. So you can do the
1: electronic one at the end.
3: Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked that Most or many borrowers should know whether they're common loopholes or deadlines or anything like that.
1: The only other thing that I I would recommend is that high deductible health plans get a bad rap in today's society, but they do actually, if you have a high deductible health insurance plan you can have a health savings account, which also has that same benefit that I mentioned relative to your income for IDR payment calculation purposes. So it reduces your income for your loan payment as well as taxable income. And it almost like creates like a bucket for your financial future for health expenses specifically, especially if you're young and healthy and not going to the doctor all the time. A lot of times you can invest the health savings accounts as well. And have just like another pot of money for your financial future, and you won't have to dip into retirement, hopefully for health expenses. If
3: you have yeah. That. Yeah. We're a big fan of HSAs over here. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps up everything here. Can you let everyone know listening where they can find student loan planner, how to book a consult if they want specific advice for their situation, etc.
1: Yeah, so you can find us at studentloanplanner.com. And then as far as booking, it's the same thing, studentloan.com book. We have been doing a ton of work to bring on more consultants and train them up without sacrificing quality to make sure that we can increase our availability, especially through year end um, with that one-time IDR account adjustment. I will also say that if you are not on the PSLF track and you're curious about what your payment count is or what your repayment history looks like. That is something that's included in our consultation. So if you're like, hey, this one-time IDR account adjustment sounds pretty cool, but I have no idea like what kind of credit the government's giving me, we can definitely help you get your arms around that and advocate for yourself as well.
3: That's great. And do you find most people are able to save a lot more money in student loans by having the consult with you? Would you say that's-
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. we acknowledge the fact that our consultations are, if people just look it up, how much it costs, they're probably like, absolutely not. Like, that could be an entire payment, but mm-hmm. the amount of money, the return on investment is in the thousands of dollars generally. Yeah. So
3: I could imagine that to be future, especially if you're able to help somebody get their loans forgiven when they didn't even know that was possible. It's probably yeah. like tenfold <laughs> or something. I don't even know. I mean, it depends how big the loan is. Well, anyways, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I know this can be helpful for lots of people. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Your Money show. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a new episode. And hey, before you leave, can you do me a quick favor? Please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. It takes just a few seconds for you. And it helps me enormously to get the show out in front of more women just like you. Thank you so much. You can find show notes, transcripts, free resources, and info on how to work with me at veronicagrant.com. See you next episode.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com newsadfree That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
3: Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have